Saturday, July the 24th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Sino-American sanctions tit for tat, and 2020 Olympics underway. First, the week in brief. China imposed sanctions on seven American individuals and organizations, including former Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross and a director of Human Rights Watch. These were retaliation for equivalent sanctions that America devised last year as punishment for the mainland's crackdown on Hong Kong. Plus, the Biden administration has more recently attempted, China's foreign ministry said, to, quote, groundlessly smear Hong Kong's business environment. Three Chinese education companies listed on the New York Stock Exchange shed 60% of their value after a leaked memo suggested that China's government may force them to register for non-profit status. Gautu TechEdu, New Oriental Education and Tal Education lost $16 billion in value in just an hour. China's education business has been booming. Two other firms, Yuan Fu Dao and Zuo Yebang, could see their IPO hopes dashed if the rules were enacted. Catastrophic flooding in the Indian state of Maharashtra caused landslides and killed at least 110 people. The region around Mumbai normally catches torrential rainfall during the monsoon, but this July has been the heaviest on record. About 85,000 people have been relocated, mainly to higher ground. Germany and China are still counting the losses from similar and nearly simultaneous disasters. Haiti conducted a chaotic funeral for its assassinated president, Jovenel Moise. Gunfire and protests near the ceremony in Cap Haitien sent dignitaries scurrying for cover. The American delegation departed abruptly. The plot behind Mr. Moise's murder remains obscure 16 days after an armed squad stormed his private residence. His widow, wounded in the same attack, blamed, quote, corrupt oligarchs for his death. Taliban leaders demanded that Afghanistan's president, Ashraf Ghani, step aside as a condition of any future peace deal. Representatives of the Islamist insurgency have been negotiating with Afghan officials in Qatar on and off for months. Taliban commanders now control almost half of Afghanistan. The group claims it does not intend to monopolize power, but called for a new government. The Cleveland Indians, a professional baseball team, renamed themselves the Cleveland Guardians, inspired by a local statue. Their previous moniker, first adopted in 1915, has long been criticized by Native American groups as being racist. Lawmakers and activists have put several teams under pressure to adopt more inclusive names. The decision in Cleveland comes a year after Washington, D.C.'s American football team deleted Redskins from theirs. The Tokyo Olympics at last held its opening ceremony a year late and in a near-empty stadium. The event, which was much more subdued than the launch showcases of previous Olympics, included a moment of silence for those who had died as a result of the pandemic. According to a recent poll, 78% of Japanese oppose hosting the Games. And word of the week, hafu, noun, 
a Japanese term derived from the English half, used to refer to someone with one ethnically Japanese parent and one non-Japanese parent. Similarly, quarter from English quarter is used for a person with one grandparent who is not ethnically Japanese. Many consider such terms offensive. And now here's today's agenda: not so free speech therapists in Hong Kong. On Thursday, police in Hong Kong arrested five speech therapists in a series of dawn raids. The individuals, all in their late twenties, are leading figures in the General Union of Hong Kong Speech Therapists. Their arrest is retaliation against the trade union after it published a number of children's books apparently critical of China's rule over Hong Kong. In one of the books, pro-democracy Hong Kongers are seemingly analogized as vulnerable sheep defending their home from wolves. Police claim the publication of such material is quote seditious and that it attempted to quote beautify illegal behavior. They say they have the law on their side, but not the infamous national security law. Rather, police have used anti-sedition legislation established but seldom used in the days of British colonial rule. The Hong Kong Confederation of Trade Unions said that the arrests sounded the quote death knell of artistic freedom in the territory. Arousing interest, Uffizi Gallery v Pornhub. Birth of Venus by Sandro Botticelli, which shows the goddess of love and beauty arising from the sea, is one of the most instantly recognizable paintings in the world. It has inspired countless artists in the 500 years since it was unveiled, and continues to draw imitators. Some are more salacious than others. This week, Pornhub, a pornography website, staged a reenactment of the painting starring adult actors. It forms part of a project called Classic Nudes, an attempt to mix highbrow and lowbrow erotica, and thus demonstrate quote the naked body in all its artistic glory. Feathers have been ruffled, as was perhaps the whole point. The Uffizi Gallery in Florence, where Botticelli's original hangs, has said it will take legal action against Pornhub. The Louvre has announced similar plans. The series features its "The Brunette Odalisque" by François Boucher. Pornhub has also recreated works from the National Gallery in London and the Metropolitan Museum in New York. They have so far responded with silence. Chimps v Gorillas: Great Apes Face Off. In Luango National Park in Gabon, chimpanzees and gorillas usually coexist in peace, but chimp watchers there witnessed two shocking and unprecedented incidents described in scientific reports, a journal. For the first time ever, lethal fighting between the two species, two of our closest animal cousins, has been observed. In early 2019, a group of 18 chimps attacked five gorillas in a chance encounter that turned violent. The chimps separated a gorilla infant from its mother and killed it. In another clash later that year, the pattern was repeated. Chimps again systematically targeted juveniles. By the end, another baby gorilla lay dead. A female chimp devoured its limbs and organs. These harrowing accounts display nature red in tooth and claw. But they also provide a glimpse into prehistory, when man was just another hominid trying to survive a world populated by many similar species. Why man alone survived that crucible is unknown.
Louder, better, faster, stronger, world records and crowds. Setting a world record in an Olympic final is one of the pinnacles in a sporting career. Just ask Usain Bolt, who did it in both the 100 and 200 metres in 2008. Because of coronavirus restrictions, athletes hoping to emulate such feats in Tokyo will have to do it without the backdrop of a rapt crowd. That might affect performance. One academic study, published in the North American Journal of Psychology, looked at the impact of crowds on sporting achievement. The results varied by discipline. Basketball players were equally as adept at free throws whether the crowd was cheering, jeering or silent. Baseball pitchers were less accurate when the spectators were hostile. Golfers preferred no noise at all when taking approach shots. That suggests Olympic sports requiring precision and concentration, such as archery, may benefit from the silence. But for those requiring explosive power, the release of which is aided by the volume of a crowd, hitting new heights might be trickier. Saturday Profile Clément Bonne, Macron's Europe fixer. Peer closely at images of President Emmanuel Macron of France chatting to other European leaders, and there is often a fresh-faced figure at his side. Aged 39, Clément Bonne was formerly the French president's Europe advisor and has long acted as an homme de confiance. But since being appointed Europe minister a year ago, the discreet technocrat has also emerged as a feisty public performer with a taste for speaking his mind. France prepares to take over the six-month rotating presidency of the European Council in January 2022. It is Mr Bone's job over the coming months to work out how to use it to boost his country's voice in Europe. I have more impact in this role, says Mr Bone, even though he no longer sees the president every day. He is still in constant contact and is now able, quote, to speak out, to defend my ideas, which I missed at the Elysee. Mr. Bone, who says he was marked as a child by the Romanian Revolution and the fall of the Berlin Wall, is credited with forging alliances within the EU and calming things down when his boss ruffles feathers. In London, he is seen as more of a hostile force. Mr. Bone does not hesitate to bark when Britain blames the EU for its post-Brexit troubles. To listen to Mr. Bone is to hear Mr. Macron. France has helped to, quote, change the software in Europe, he claims, or to promote, quote, European sovereignty. Yet the Europe minister, who hails from the left, is also earning a reputation as a liberal conscience in government. Having come out as gay, he vowed, though failed, to visit one of Poland's anti-LGBT zones on an official trip there in March, and promises to try again this year. I'm trying to assert my own style make my own choices, defend my convictions, he says, while in keeping with Mr Macron's philosophy. As the French say, à suivre, expect more to come. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Amelia Earhart, who was born on this day in 1897. Anticipation, I suppose, sometimes exceeds realisation. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. 
And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.